Good morning, Ridge Point Church. Um, If you're kind of new, let me, we got to kind of take care of a little bit of business really quick. Um, First of all, uh, my name is Chris Neff. I'm one of the staff members here at the church. And uh, I'm not the guy that you would normally see up here on Sunday morning. That is J.J. Gallowitz, our lead pastor. Uh, For those of you who have been here, you know that uh, he and Beth are kind of in the midst of uh, adopting a baby. And um, just to kind of update you on where everything is, there's a picture. That is baby Zach, and uh, he was born Friday morning. He's 8 pounds and 14 ounces. And um, now everything's not completely done and finalized yet. In fact, um, they had to take, there were some complications, so they had to take him to All Children's Hospital, and he's in the um, NICU there. Uh, but he was doing a lot better yesterday, and uh, they were headed back over to see him today. So, um, But uh, JJ said he tried to get all three of them in the picture, but it looked a little too selfie-like. So um, he got the two important people in the picture. So uh, that's Zach and Beth. So be, be praying for them. Uh, hopefully some things are going to kind of get finalized and answered today uh, for them. But continue to pray for Zach as he kind of grows and and just hopefully he'll be able to come home very soon so all right um now before i started working here at the church i actually taught high school for 15 years and when when i went to school to train to be a high school teacher i actually was trained to be a a government economics history teacher uh, you know just social studies but in my second year of teaching, I actually ended up teaching a class that I wasn't really trained to teach. Uh, it was actually a class of students who kind of had some kind of behavioral problems. In fact, that was the reason that they were in that class. Uh, they were kind of struggling with some things. Maybe some of that was affecting their academics. And so we would work on academics and social stuff together. And I was kind of, you know, early into this year, I I remember a particular incident that happened. Now, uh, they would change classes just like all the other kids at the high school. And so sometimes they would go out, as the class change happened, they would go out and sometimes they would come directly back to me. And this particular day, the, the class was changing and it was kind of becoming time for them to come back into the class. And I noticed kind of out of the corner of my eye that uh, something was kind of, Miss something crazy was about to happen and it's just one of those things that you kind of feel as a teacher like you notice something a little bit out of place and like okay what do I have to do to 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 fix this and what I noticed was this one of my students kind of came rushing back into the classroom and the student's name was Bo now that's not his real name I've kind of changed his name to you know protect the not so innocent but um Bo basically came running back into the class And he kind of rushed almost immediately to the back corner of the classroom. Now, I'm thinking, what's going on? Well, pretty soon, here comes another one of my students. Her name was Evelyn. Now, I need to tell you a little bit about the two of them. Bo was kind of short, stocky. You know, he had a little Napoleon complex. Um, Very intelligent, very smart. In fact, he was one of those kids that, you could kind of read you and could kind of figure out like what it was that like really irritated you and then he would do it, you know, just the, one of those people. And so, you know, here he was, he comes rushing into the room and rushes to the back corner, kind of trapping himself is what I was thinking. And here comes this other girl, Evelyn. Now, Evelyn was the opposite. She, you know, big, 
just stocky girl, just very muscular, just, you know, and, and was known for taking care of business. I mean, that was part of the reason that she was in this class was, you know, if you kind of went the wrong way with her, she was going to, you know, make sure that you got hurt. So, you know, being young, I kind of just like inserted myself into the middle of this, you know, like hoping to kind of stop it. So Bo's back in the corner, and here's Evelyn. She's kind of over toward the door. And as I kind of insert myself into the situation, she stopped. And I thought, mm, thank goodness. And um, so here she is. She's kind of standing like this, and she's kind of facing me. And, and she has her hand on one of the student desks, you know, one of those kind of high school desks that has the chair and the, the, the tabletop on it. And she's standing there, and she looks at me, and she says, get out of my way, and I can't repeat what she said next, but basically she was going to kick a certain part of my anatomy, okay? Get out of my way, or I'm going to, you know, do that. And it was kind of like, I don't know if she did it for effect, or if she was just so mad, but like in the second that she said that, I don't think, I didn't even really see her arm move. It was kind of like she just flipped her wrist, and the desk like flipped completely over. And I thought, this 16-year-old is going to kill me. And so I'm like, okay, all right, what do I do next? Because obviously I need to get out of her way because, but at the same time, you know, I got Bo and I don't want him killed. So, so I, I kind of, I took a step back and I said, okay, Evelyn, I, I've taken a step back, but I'm not going to get out of the way. And, you know, at the time, uh, I wasn't really, I wasn't following Christ at that point, but I, I know I was praying at that point that, you know, I'd kind of inserted myself into this situation, but I had never really, like, called for any kind of help. So I was kind of hoping somebody had already done that. And I was hoping that one of our assistant principals or deans was about to show up. And thank goodness he did. Because at that time, roughly about the time that she was considering what she was going to do, because I wasn't out of the way, our assistant principal walked in. And he just kind of had that, it just, he had a kind of a good relationship with Evelyn. And he kind of coaxed her out of the room. And, you know, the crisis was kind of averted because I remember afterwards I thought, I've got to quit wearing ties to work because she might have used that to strangle me. So anyway, so I'm just curious if you, you know, that's kind of an extreme example, but I'm curious if you have ever found yourself in a situation where you're kind of in the middle, like maybe you've inserted yourself into the middle of some kind of conflict or maybe you didn't intend to insert yourself there. You just happened to be there. And, you, you know, for whatever reason, you're in the middle of this conflict. And I'm curious as to, like, what, what, how, what's your reaction to that? How do you feel about, you know, either inserting yourself or being in that situation? That could be something like maybe something at work. You know, maybe at work you're kind of in the, like, middle level of the work. Like, maybe there are people who are above you who are the bosses and then, Maybe you kind of oversee some of the people at work, and, and there constantly seems to be kind of this conflict between the two. Like, you know, the bosses tell you to, you know, tell something. They say this needs to happen, and the people who are kind of below you, they, they complain about it, and they're not really happy with it. And so there constantly seems to kind of be this conflict going on, and you kind of feel like you're in the middle of it. Or maybe you're actually the boss. Maybe you're, you know, it's your business, and you see your employees have this conflict and it really doesn't have anything to do with work, but you know it's affecting their work and it's affecting, you know, your company. 
or maybe it's something like your family. You know, I, I think we've all found ourselves in kind of the middle of family situations where maybe two people in the family are upset with each other. And for whatever reason, maybe your role in the family, you find yourself kind of in between the two of them, trying to figure out what's going on. Or maybe it's two parts of the family. Or even worse yet, maybe it's your family and maybe some of your friends. Like you kind of agree with your friends, but you don't go against the family, okay? And so you're, you're kind of in the middle of things. Or maybe it's not even, you know, that kind of, maybe you're just watching something like this happen. You know, we, you turn on the TV and you see one political party saying, hey, this, you know, this political party, the other political party, they're evil and they do this and they do that and they make it personal. And then, you know, you turn the other station and somebody else is saying the same thing about that party. And it's just this conflict, conflict, conflict. And, and to be honest, we live in a broken world. It's probably not going to go away. You know, those situations like that are not going to go away. And, and if we, I believe that Scripture teaches that some of those things are just going to kind of continue to get worse. But as Christ followers, we're kind of called to do something a little bit different in those conflicts. And that's what, kind of what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you're just joining us, or maybe it's been a few weeks since you've been here, we're actually wrapping up a series today called Pursuing Happiness. And this is the seventh week of it. And what we've been doing is we've actually been looking at a very specific passage of Scripture in Matthew 5. It's actually Matthew 5, starting with verse 3 down to verse 12. And in these 10 verses, um, basically what we've been talking about is what we call, in kind of theology world, we call it the Beatitudes. This, this passage of Scripture is called the Beatitudes because Almost all of the verses start with this phrase, blessed are, and it talks about a certain group of people. Blessed are these people who have this characteristic. And not only are they blessed, <coughs> not only are they blessed, but also there's kind of a condition that kind of goes along with that now that they are blessed. And we said kind of from the very beginning of this that the word, the Greek word that Jesus uses, because these are words that Jesus is sharing, it's actually part of a bigger sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that actually goes on beyond the verses that we're looking at today. But in, in this particular, the, the word that he uses that is often translated blessed actually can be better translated as happy. And so that's where we came up with the name pursuing happiness. That basically what Jesus is laying out in these 10 verses is here are some things that you can do to pursue happiness according to you know, what God is teaching according to my teachings, not according to society and wanting this and wanting that and all of that being tied up in happiness, but what it looks like in your faith to have happiness. And I think it's kind of interesting that we're finishing with this particular one. We're actually looking at verse 9 today, and it's actually not the last one, though. Like last week, JJ covered verses 10 through 12 and talked about one of the things that Jesus finishes with is this idea that Blessed are the people who are persecuted for my sake, for righteousness' sake. He, he talks about all of that. But I think it's interesting that we finish with this particular verse because to me, the verse that we're looking at today requires all of the other characteristics that we've already talked about. In fact, let's go ahead and throw it up there. It's Matthew 5, verse 9, and it says this, Blessed are or happy are the peacemakers 
for they shall be called the sons of God. So, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. So as Christ followers, we're called, we're called, we're, we are sons of God. So it's kind of not one of those things like you should be a peacemaker and then you'll be called son of God. It's really this. Because you're a Christ follower, you're a son of God, and so you should be a peacemaker. It's one of those that's kind of turned on its head. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you think about it for a minute, and we're not going to get into, we could talk about all the different kinds of peace and what that looks like. In fact, if you're interested in that, I'd encourage you. Last fall, we did a series called Separate Peace. Uh, where we kind of talked about what peace looks like and what it takes to have peace in our lives and all of that. I'd encourage you to go on our website. You can kind of go back and look at those, uh, listen to those. But this idea of peace for today's purposes is basically looking for that kind of absence of conflict around us, okay? Now, I know it's easy to kind of say, well, okay, absence of conflict around us if I'm going to be a peacemaker, then basically what you're telling me to do is just kind of roll over and let people walk all over me. That I'm never going to stand up to somebody or say something against somebody or anything like that because that's what a peacemaker would do. And that's really not what we're talking about today. We're talking about, in fact, we're going to look in in a few minutes at some scripture where Jesus was a peacemaker and that was kind of the opposite of what he did. He was very kind of, he, he said some things that were a little in your face but yet he brought peace to the situation. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So if we're going to be a peacemaker, we really need, and I think this is important, we really need the characteristics of all the other things that we've talked about. You know, we started out and we said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And on down the line, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I believe that where this is nestled in this passage, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you need all of these other, you've got to have all this other stuff too. Bring all of these other characteristics to the table and you will be able to be a peacemaker. Oh, and by the way, I'm calling you to be a peacemaker, but when you become a peacemaker, People are going to persecute you. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake, for righteousness' sake. So I think it's really interesting that here we are, we're finishing, wrapping up with this particular statement because I think it encompasses all of the other statements. And something kind of interesting that I noticed as, as I was studying for this, I, I kind of, you know, I've looked at this passage a lot, this whole passage of the Sermon on the Mount, which is, Actually, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I'd encourage you, you know, whether today or another day this week, if you've got some time, sit down and read the rest of the passage. Read the rest of the sermon from Jesus. But I'd always kind of thought about these verses as kind of separate from the rest of the sermon. That here's a separate topic that Jesus has where he's saying, blessed are or happy are. And then that's kind of separate from all of the other stuff that Jesus is about to say. But I notice, kind of in looking at this this time, and looking at each of those Beatitudes, that that's not really what Jesus was doing, that this wasn't really separate from the rest of the sermon. It was actually, 
his introduction to the sermon. That Jesus is telling these, this crowd, if you want to be happy, these are the things that you should do. These are the characteristics that you should have. And I think he was kind of laying that out to kind of say, you know, get their interest, pique their interest. Just like, you know, I told you that crazy story at the beginning because I want you to kind of identify with being stuck in a conflict. I think Jesus was telling these, was saying these verses to draw people in to what he was about to talk about. Because if you look at the rest of the sermon, Jesus begins pretty quickly as he turns the corner, he begins to say some pretty, pretty tough things. For example, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've looked on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Or you've heard that it says, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, if you have hate in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. He says some extremely, extremely in-your-face tough things. So this, this passage kind of introduces what he is about to say. And again, I'd encourage you to go and look at that. But for now, as we come back to this idea that we're called to be peacemakers, that we're called to kind of find the absence of conflict. In fact, um, there's a passage in Hebrews 12, 14. It tells us as Christ followers that we're to strive to have peace with all men. We're strive. We're supposed to work toward having peace with all men. So blessed are the peacemakers. Now, you know, on the surface, you can say, okay, I'm supposed to kind of work toward the absence of conflict. But Chris, you also told me that, you know, in our fallen world, there's probably never going to be an absence of conflict. So what do I do? What, it, what does that look like? Well, I think there are two ways that you are a peacemaker as a Christ follower. First of all, is in those kind of extreme situations where all of a sudden you've either inserted yourself in the conflict or you find yourself in the middle of the conflict. And your role is to kind of hopefully bring some kind of peace to that situation, that you are kind of the voice of reason in that situation. The second way I think that you become a peacemaker is a little more subtle, and I think it's probably the one that we do most often, because most of us don't find ourselves in those conflicts all the time, at least I hope not. But I think the other way that we become a peacemaker is we live our life according to Scripture— And we follow these things that we see in these Beatitudes, that we strive toward this kind of happiness that we've been studying, and that when we live our lives, when we live our lives that way, that naturally there's peace kind of comes around you, that people recognize that there's some kind of, you know, that you're not out there in the fringes causing the conflict, okay? That you're there living your life and that things don't seem to follow you everywhere and conflict doesn't seem to follow you everywhere. So I think those are the two ways that we can kind of work toward being peacemakers. Now, I think there are some things that we can do to to kind of help that. In fact, we're going to look at another passage of Scripture that tells a story of Jesus being kind of inserted into him, finding himself in the midst of this conflict and kind of what he does to bring peace to the situation. 
Now, this passage is actually uh, in John 8, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can do that. It'll be up in the screens in just a second. But what I want to do is I want to read through the story kind of quickly, just kind of get the whole picture of, of what happens here. And then, after we finish reading, I want to walk back through it, and I want to look at what Jesus does to, bra- to bring peace to that situation, because I think these are things that we can do, steps that we can take to be a peacemaker in any situation, whether it's a conflict that you find yourself in the midst of, or if it's just living your life every day. So, passages, again, John 8, starting in verse 3, it says this, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So these guys bring this woman to Jesus and they say, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, they're continuing to talk, they say, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So if she commits adultery, we're supposed to stone her. So what do you say? In other words, Jesus, do you agree with what Moses said? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So, again, Jesus didn't really insert himself in this situation. They kind of brought the situation to him. And obviously, there was the potential for a great deal of conflict here, okay? These guys are wanting to stone this woman. So there's obvious conflict here. And Jesus kind of handles it probably in a way that we could never have imagined. He handles it in a very interesting way. And here's some things, again, I don't think these are necessarily you have to do these in order, but these are some things that we see Jesus do that I think that we could kind of take and put into our particular situations. The first thing that Jesus did was he took a step back. Now, remember my story. That was one of the things that I did when Evelyn said, I'm going to do this to you. That was my first reaction was to take a step back. I physically stepped back. Now, Jesus didn't physically step back here, but what did he do? He bent down and he started drawing in the dirt. It was his opportunity to kind of, now he was Jesus and he knew this was going to happen and, you know, We're not going to get into all the theology of that for right now. But here they come to him and they say, hey, this woman committed adultery. And so Jesus kind of takes a moment, steps back, and begins to kind of look at the situation. Assess what's going on. Assess what's being said to him. Looking at both sides. Looking at these guys who are questioning him and looking at this woman who's standing there. And I think what Jesus did, kind of the next thing that he did as he paused, was he focused on the people who were involved. 
He focused on the people who were involved in the situation. And I think that's something that we can do too. Sometimes we get wrapped up in the conflict and we forget about the people who were involved. And so Jesus began as he's drawn in the dirt. I think that's what he was doing, was thinking about who are these people that are involved in this situation? You know, who are these guys who are coming to me and saying, you know, Moses says we should stone her. You know, why are they saying this to me? Why, you know, are they just saying this because this is what they think needs to happen? Are they trying to trick me? What, you know, he was assessing the situation. I think he was thinking about the woman. Here she is, she's standing there. She's not denying it. She's not saying, oh no, I didn't do that, Jesus. She's just standing there. So he knew that she had done what they said she did. She's probably standing there looking at the ground because she was probably ashamed. These guys had rounded her up and brought her to this guy who, you know, she's heard some people say that he's the son of God. That's got to be intimidating. And so Jesus was kind of taking that in. What, what's, what's going on here? Who are these people? The next thing I think we see with Jesus, and again, I don't think we have to always do it in this order, but I think this is kind of interesting because I think our natural reaction in a situation like this is to try to fix the problem, okay? I mean, especially those of us who are guys. I mean, if we're guys, we want to fix something, all right? Um, and, and I think our natural reaction when we end up in a situation like this is to try to fix it. And I don't think that's what Jesus set out to do. Now, he's Jesus, so he did fix the problem, but I don't think that was his intention. I think his intention was to be able to say something to kind of end this, to bring peace to this situation. I think if he was trying to solve it, he could have argued, he could have used scripture and argued that they shouldn't kill this woman. He, he was Jesus, you know? He could have done that, okay? He could have made the argument that would have, you know, caused them to walk away and the problem be solved. But that's not what he did. He said some things that <clears throat> were just things that we wouldn't have thought of to say, but they were just so simple. So, don't try to solve the situation. When we step into these things, don't try to solve it. In fact, a lot of times if we try to solve it, we make it worse. We make it worse. So when you're in these situations, don't, don't think you're the solution, okay? Because you're probably not, all right? These people, who, whoever's involved, they've already had their ideas. You're not going to change those things. So don't try to solve the problem. I think... <clears throat> Another thing that we need to do, and I think this is really important for us, maybe not necessarily for Jesus, but for us, I think the big thing that we have to do, and, and Jesus did do this, was we have to be slow to speak or don't speak at all. Be slow to speak or don't speak at all. If we find ourselves in these situations where there's conflict, if we speak quickly, most likely we're going to say the wrong thing. We haven't looked at the whole situation. We're going to say the wrong thing. So either be slow to speak, you know, pause, think about what you need to say. You know, what would Scripture say about this situation? What kind of truth can you speak into it? Or better yet, maybe don't say anything at all. Maybe you're there to just listen. I love one of my favorite verses. Um, it's Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. 
Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do in these situations sometimes, is just be quiet. When all this political stuff's going on, you know, and, and everybody's getting personal and attacking each other, maybe we just need to be quiet. Even a fool seems wise when he keeps silent. It was the last thing, the last thing that I kind of think that Jesus did in this particular situation. And I think all the other things are good. All the other things that we just talked about are great. But to me, this one is the key. If we're going to be a peacemaker in any situation, whether it's, you know, something that's kind of blowing out of control or whether it's just us living our life every day, I think what we have to do is we have to love the people who are involved. And I said earlier, Jesus focused on the people who were involved. But I, I believe the real key is this. We have to love the people who are involved. In fact, I would say this. Peacemakers love people, not problems. Peacemakers love people, not problems. Because at the end of the day, whatever situation you're in, it, like for example, in my situation, at the end of the day, I didn't solve anything. I mean, the assistant principal came in and he coaxed Evelyn out of, out of, you know, out of the door and got her to calm down and all of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't change what anybody said or fix anything. But what I did was I inserted myself because, first of all, I didn't want to see blood in my classroom that day, but especially my own. But I wanted, I, I really genuinely care about these kids. I love these kids and I didn't want to see them hurt. So we have to love the people who are involved. At the end of the day, people may walk away from the situation and they're still going to think the things that they thought coming into the situation. And you may not agree with those things, but you can still love them. So peacemakers love people, not the problems. They love people, not the problems. And I think when it comes down to it, to me, this is the real key to living our lives daily as peacemakers. Not being a peacemaker in a situation, but living our lives daily as peacemakers. Because if we live our lives loving the people around us, it makes it difficult to enter into those conflicts or to, it it makes it a lot easier, especially to walk away from those conflicts, to not embroil ourselves in those, if we're going to love the people around us. I was kind of reminded of this as, as I was preparing for this. A couple weeks ago, my wife, it was around her birthday time, and, and you, around birthdays, you guys know if, if you're at all on Facebook, you know, people kind of send you messages on your birthday, happy birthday, all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm really terrible at that, by the way, so don't look for it from me. But um, anyway, she was getting all these messages on her birthday. And that particular day, she actually got a message from a friend of hers that she used to teach with. And it was kind of an interesting message because it didn't really say happy birthday in it. It was kind of more of a personal message. And it said this. It said, Dear Sherry, I wanted to take a minute and let you know how much you mean to me. Because... Even though we're not around each other all the time now, but when we work together, I know that your faith doesn't agree with the way that I live my life. 
but you've never treated me differently because of that. In fact, you've always treated with me with respect. You've always shown love to me. You've always included me. In other words, you were a peacemaker in my life when there was a great opportunity for you to not be a peacemaker. There was a great opportunity for you to condemn and look down and and you didn't do that. In fact, you chose the opposite. So peacemakers love people, not problems. I mean, that's all my wife did. It, it, it's not that, you know, it's not that my wife looked the other way and, you know, just like, hey, it's okay, you do whatever you want to do, that kind of thing. I mean, she just lived her life and she never judged her for, you know, what it was that she was doing or how she was living her life. She loved her and not the problems. And if you think about it, that's why we're all here today. I mean, the reason that we're all here today is that Jesus loved us and not our problems. He loved us and not our problems. No matter what, he walked into our life and no matter what problem we had, what conflict, what sin, whatever was in our life, whatever trash was there, he loved us. So peacemakers love people, not problems. Let's pray.